Welcome back, everyone. This is Matt Cooley, host of Upside Downside, where our panel explores the value creation angle of current news stories and how the actions we take affect profits and cash flow. We throw in a good dose of humor along the way and have a good time. By day, I'm the head of finance for the global network platform API business at Ericsson and a self-professed nerd for value creation and how it impacts companies and everyday people. Joining me are distinguished panelists Dana Price and Sami Bey. Dana is CFO of an edtech company and never lets her burn rate get out of control. She also breaks technology, like last week when Dana was told by the chat GPT bot to leave me alone. Welcome, Dana. Thank you. I, I didn't think you heard about that either. <laughs> Sami Akbe is a technology executive and founder and is one of those people who knows how to shove data into the black box and make something useful come out the other side. We know and love him as Mr. Data. Welcome, Sami. Hi, Matt. Hi, Dana. Good to be with you. Great. Today, we're talking about, uh-oh, my bank just crashed and the potential for real value destruction. And then we'll get into tipping, which I personally think has completely gone off the rails. But let's start with banking and the crash of Silicon Valley Bank in particular that happened in March. Like, you know, what this means to me is sort of like, really, people were having a run on a bank in 2023? We've since learned that the risks at SVP weren't diversified like other banks. We've also learned that many customers of the bank put all their eggs in the same basket and frankly, were just as shocked as the rest of us that, that their money wasn't safe. What are the value creation lessons here and what changes do you see as a result of the SVP experience? Sami, why don't uh, you go first, please? Right. So uh, SVB is a specialized bank, which um, you know is not your typical kind of uh, large-scale Bank of America or Citibank or Wells Fargo type of a bank. Right. They actually service a special segment. Uh, they 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 serve a very specific role. As a startup, you don't have the same uh, access to credit facilities or same access to uh, a lot of the banking services that an established company would have. And um, these venture banks uh, do service that segment. So they they do serve a critical purpose. Uh, their demise and whether or not we should save them and bail them out, I'm actually in favor of making sure that we keep them afloat because uh, if they go away, uh, we're going to have a very significant impact downstream on the uh you know overall innovation in the united states because many of the venture funded companies uh, a lot of the uh, technology innovation comes out of them have to rely on these banks like svb and um you know if their banks go away their financial freedom or financial capabilities are going to be significantly reduced and um that's going to have a negative impact on the overall economy in the long term, and I think strategically. One of the critical things that attracts innovation in the U.S. is having that ecosystem, not only the innovative brains, but also uh, you know the legal infrastructure, the uh, financial infrastructure, the everything else around the company that helps make it successful. And uh, these banks are a part of that. So. Uh, I think this is this is kind of a critical anomaly without that much ill intent behind it as it percolated, but at the same time it requires our attention and support. That's that's my you know perspective. 
Okay. Dana, what, uh, what's in your mind about this? So I, I, you know, nothing gets the blood flowing like a good bank run, right? Um, <laughs> it, it, you know, for those of us who are perhaps on the older side, you know, flashbacks to 2008, 2009, that, that Friday morning um, was mm-hmm. definitely apparent. Um, so, and and I was caught up in this, so I, I just will admit that, you know, <laughs> to out loud. Um, I I think, you know, from my perspective, you know, maybe some of the upside is as as you look about you look at this, you know, the FDIC seed limit, right? Two hundred and fifty thousand um, dollars. That's a good thing, but should it actually be a lot higher? You know, my thought was for given who this bank serves. You know, that Friday morning at about 12 o'clock when it went under, um, I said, there's no way that the federal government is going to let all those companies fail um, because that's essentially what's going to happen. It's a trickle on effect. And, you know, you you obviously hopefully have learned something from 2008, 2009. So I think we saw the Fed step in. Um, they guaranteed all deposits, which is quite honestly what they should have done. Um, and I think that gave a lot of people comfort, you know, it took them a while to find an owner, but, you know, honestly, it's up and running. Are there logistical frustrations that, that come out of that? Sure. I I think, you know, the, the angst and the uncertainty in, in the moment and the emergency board calls and, um, you know, dealing with your customers after the fact who say, I can't pay you because you're at SVB. You know, it's just a logistical challenge. But I I think if anything, what we've learned is, you know, the government will step in. Um, If they had not stepped in, like, you know, back in 2008, 2009, when they took a while, I think it would have been very different. But I think you just have to from, you know, if if you're a key finance person at an organization is, you know, hopefully you do have a second bank. Um, If you haven't learned that in the last month. I would strongly recommend you do have a second bank, Um, you know, regardless of what anyone else tells you, you always want to have a second bank. um, So you have an outlet to make payments, make payroll, whatever the case may be. Um, And and it also makes you sort of look at where your money is and, you know, and I mean, you know, what countries your, your, your money is in and it, you know, it from the upside, it actually turns out to be a very good compliance, um, check for for various companies. So I, I think that, you know, Sami laid out the 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 path of, you know, the who, what, when, and where, why. Um, and I think, you know, I just want to add all the logistics that fall on the company and the finance people to make sure that you're doing what's best for the company. Um, and, you know, obviously protecting your cash and making sure you have access to credit um, as well. So, an expensive case study, folks. What? What? So it sounds like you both you both agree that the feds did the right thing. You know, the cleanup operation was the right move. Okay. What? What could SVP uh, Silicon Valley Bank have done differently to have avoided this? Be, be, because Sami, you know, you raise an important point. You know, it's it's a different kind of bank focused on a different kind of customer that the rest of the banking community doesn't necessarily support, um, and this could have very Big impacts on on um, you know innovation. So, what is it? I, I want to ask both of you that they could have done differently 
um, to have avoided all of this. And, and I'm, I'm asking from a value creation lens, not. So my, I mean, first of all, I don't know if Fed did the right thing upfront. They were late to respond. They should have stepped in a little earlier, which would have slowed down or stopped the bank run. And I think they, they waited like, you know, two, three days before they commented. And, um, so that put that aside. Uh, the other thing is banks like SVB are not diversified, diversified not only in the way that they secure the assets that they have or deposits that they have, but also their customer segmentation is really, uh, you know, like very uniform, right? If you had a uh, hundred different customer segments with different behavior and different risk profiles, I think you would be much better off. Having said that, I don't know if the regulatory uh, infrastructure or uh, the charters of these banks would allow for having a lot of different types of uh, customer segments. So uh, quite quite frankly, like, you know, if SVB had been a part of a much larger, uh, you know, much bigger balance sheet uh, financial institution, they may not have had the issues that they had now or mm-hmm. they had at this time. Uh, but I don't know if that's even viable, to be honest. Dana, do you have anything to add to that? So I think, you know, SVB was, I think, somewhat clear on their risk profile. Um, and they were trying to diversify. Clearly, they didn't do a very good job of that. But I, I think that, you know, had they done the perhaps a deeper risk assessment or perhaps looked at what percentage of the tech industry is, you know, in that bank, I, I think that perhaps that they should have put, you know, a governor on that internally and you know monday morning quarterback is is all well and good but could it have stopped what happened i'm not sure it could have but i i think you know everyone can look you know listen we can all look back and say hey you should have done a little bit harder risk analysis but i don't think the outcome would have changed quite honestly given how focused they were on the tech industry yeah, I I guess my summary comment here is is kind of related to how you, uh, you know, some things that you mentioned, Dana. You know, value creation um, and quite honestly, preservation can come from anywhere. So particularly for finance teams out there, pay extra close attention to a second bank or just how you're evaluating your bank. And all of us need to keep scanning that environment constantly for any kind of threats, not just opportunities. Um, Yeah, fascinating, fascinating. Um, Okay, why don't we move on to tipping? I love this topic because we all face tipping decisions regularly, and the whole approach to tipping right now feels disparate and quite honestly out of control. And I see definite generational and technology aspects going on here as well. The touch screens are everywhere prompting a tip decision before services have even been rendered. And we're also starting to be, we, we've been asked for a while now to tip on things that we never tipped on before. So-called tipflation has been on top of rising prices as well. And so I did a little math 
on the cost of a bowl of noodles at this place that we like to go. And the cost plus the suggested minimum tip on the screen when you place your order at the counter is now something like 20, 25% higher than it was a year ago for the same bowl of noodles. So quite honestly, we just don't go as much. What's happening here? And more importantly, what impact does this have on value creation now and in the future? Dana, why don't you take that, please? Sure. So I'll obviously going to address this from a personal perspective, not from a company's perspective. But you know, personally, I am so guilty of this. Um, but but in a very select sort of way. So I absolutely agree with you on the on the bowl of noodles. You know, there are times now where you're going to pay for something and you're like, oh, am am, am I supposed to tip? Wait a minute, why is the box there? Should is everyone else tipping? Am I, you know, should I be doing something differently? I, I think, you know, I, I, I too get caught off guard a lot about uh, at this at, at various points in time. I think the other side of this is your, you know, anywhere you go where you pay with a credit card in, in a restaurant, at least in, in this area, you know, there's a what three to five percent fee. If you pay with cash, it's less. Um, you know, I look at it from the perspective of a COVID lens. So you know, Instacart, which is one of my absolute favorite software, because if you remember, I'm the one that hates to go into the, the supermarket and talk to people. <laughs> You've made um, that clear in the past. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So Instacart, you know, without Instacart, I, I don't think a lot of people would have gotten through COVID. You know, anyone who works in a restaurant or a hotel, I will tip heavily <laughs> because, you know, it's all about making sure they're earning a fair wage. And, you know, those are the people that didn't have work for a couple of years or, you know, have lost their jobs, whatever the case may be. So I personally am trying to help, you know, compensate for that a little bit in the past. And at some point I have to stop doing that. But I, I would say to your point about the noodles, I do get a little frustrated at certain points when you go somewhere and it's, you know, is it going to be, you know, next tomorrow, am I going to go to the dry cleaners and are they going to ask me if I want a tip? And I'll be like, oh my God, what do I do? <laughs> exactly. So, exactly. So it does, and you, you know, I, I, I get very upset at certain things. So it's a, it's a one by one process, but I, I do find that there are times where it will irritate me as a consumer um, and that will make a decision. I will make a decision either not to go there or flat out, well, screw you. I'm not going to tip you because I've never tipped you in the past and the service hasn't required a tip. And in theory, you may or may not have been affected by COVID. So forget it. I'm not hitting that button. <laughs> but but don't you think don't you think at some point there could be blowback on these places that we're we're paying tips too, and maybe even you know, these, these cash apps, these restaurant management apps. Possibly. Um, but then again, I go back to Sami's comments. It's, you know, what will the market bear? Um, and if people are willing to to do that, then, you know, which side is the majority? Is it the no tippers or is it the tippers? And does that sort of carry you through, you know, you're, you're sort of, you know, your friends are saying, well, what do you mean you didn't hit the button? You have to hit the button. And then you sort of get guilted into hitting the button because, oh, my God, you know, I'm going to go and my friends are going to yell at me because I didn't hit the button. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's I, I think it's a little it's a mixed bag. I, I, I don't know where it's going to come out. And I'm probably not helping folks by doing it in restaurants on Instacart and, and, and you know, hotels. But I have a very 
you know, I have a very distinct purpose from my personal perspective to help those specific people that got hurt in COVID. Mm -hmm. Okay, interesting. So, Sami, what's in your mind about tipping? Okay, so I agree with Dana. I actually like to tip, and I like tipping at a restaurant or at a hotel, but there are a few things that just, you know, uh, bother me. One of them is pre-tipping versus post-tipping, right? If I'm at the counter buying coffee, even before my coffee is delivered on the app, you know, it tells me just give me 15% or 12% or whatever, that it annoys me a lot. So in that in that case, I usually uh, get a little less uh, generous, let's say with the tip, because you're asking me to tip for something which is supposed to be disc- discretionary in nature. I have not even uh, received the service yet. I don't even know if I liked the service. Uh, it's supposed to be an appreciation for something that was, um, you know, like something that I appreciate, right? So it kind of uh, loses its original meaning. The other thing that I think uh, changes the whole tipping equation quite a bit is the delivery services because we've added uh, yet another layer to the uh, supply chain of a lot of the things that we tip, right? If you go to a restaurant and you're at the restaurant, you do the tipping, that Mm -hmm. tip goes to one group of people. But if I have that same food delivered by Grubhub or Instacart or Uber Eats, there is yet one more more person in between. And of course, that compounds the whole uh, tipping impact, right? So I don't like built-in tips. I don't like to be forced to tip. I like to tip after the fact for service that has been delivered to my, um, you know, satisfaction. But at the same time, post-COVID, uh, I'm in favor of generous tipping uh, for things that have been delivered. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with both of your points. I think that a couple things that come to mind for me, though, is is in many respects, we are in post-COVID now. So not that we have to go back to the same way that things were before, but I don't... There, there's a fascinating um, article in, I think it's uh, New York Magazine, about the the screens that are pushed in front of people's faces constantly now. And, and those are usually pre-service, where you're asked to make a, a decision. It's it feels like there's too much control at that point and um at this noodle place which which we love and we still do go to just not as much um you can actually change the percent i think they start theirs at 18 and it goes up to 25% you can actually change it or you can say no tip and just leave some cash in a in a jar so you know, I'm I'm looking for those little adjustments because I don't like the screen sort of pressuring me to make a decision. And apparently, according to this article, there's a generational aspect where people under 30, they're afraid to change or or, or say I'm going to leave cash instead. So I feel like it's a, a little bit too controlled by the technology right now. The other thing is the underlying economics. I mean, don't forget all the inflation that's gone on in the last couple of years. So this tipping stuff is on top of that. So 
you know, my example of the noodles costing 20, 25% more, um, you know, just, just because of the combination of those two things. So it feels like it's out of control. There's a, I, I sense in the news, there's a, there's a more concern about it. And it's going to be interesting to see where this goes. One of my ideas, not to belabor this too much is what if we could disaggregate the, um, the tipping from the point of purchase. So right now, more and more, we're asked to make that decision all up front before the service is rendered. You know, if there was an app, for example, not that we need another app, guys, but if there was an app that, um, you know, a QR code or something at the table that you scan and and it's a separate review and a separate tip um, percentage up to you after you've had your meal, after you've had your experience, um, and and that goes to the restaurant, something like that versus the the way it's being, I feel, jammed down our throats right now. Um, I think there could be blowback to these cash companies. I really do. If if uh, anger wells enough, um, people are just going to start hitting zero and maybe leaving cash or something. Um, it's a potential, potential ramification to these companies. So from a value creation perspective, I think the anger is growing a little bit. Um, so anyway, those are my perspectives. Any any closing thoughts? And on this by one? the way, I'm all in favor of leaving cash tips whenever possible. Mm-hmm. I, than... I, I like the jars. I, I think that helps actually. Yeah. And I think also, you know, they see you doing it and quite honestly, living through the collapse of Lehman and then the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank, I've gone back to, you know, old school cash where I actually keep more cash for things like that. Um, because I think people appreciate the cash more because you can see the transaction. I know that sounds a bit old school, but. Um... Well, I, I, I don't think it is. There's an ice cream place near us and you we always leave a buck or two after buying an ice cream there. And it, even one time, I think I left 50 cents because it's all I had and I made up for it next time, but they were grateful and they said, thank you. That kind of thing keeps me coming back versus a screen that starts at 20% you know, for, for something where services haven't been rendered yet. So I just, I think that, you know, I'm hoping the tide is uh, getting ready to shift a little bit where we're demanding some, some service, not, it's not just some perfunctory thing because it's on a screen in front of us, but we'll keep our eye on this one. It's interesting. Well, I am going to say that you both have earned a 25% tip for me today for a job well done. <laughs> I hope you consider that generous. Did you have a good time? Did you hit the app on that? Yeah, <laughs> I'll do that now. Right, thank you. That was very generous of you. Much appreciated. <laughs> All right. Well, same here. And to our listeners, keep scanning for those value creation opportunities, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.